Part Two, Chapter Six of Jezebel's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. Jezebel's Daughter by Wilkie Collins, Part Two, Chapter Six. Mrs. Wagner was still hard at work at her desk when Jack Straw made his appearance again in the private office. "'Where have you been all this time?' she asked. "'And what have you done with your new gloves?' "'I threw them at Madame Fontaine,' Jack answered. "'Don't alarm yourself. I didn't hit her.' Mrs. Wagner laid down her pen, smiling. "'Even business must give way to such extraordinary events as this,' she said. What has gone wrong between you and Madame Fontaine? Jack entered into a long, rambling narrative of what he had heard on the subject of the wonderful remedy, and of the capricious manner in which a supply of it had been first offered to him, and then taken away again. Turn it over in your mind, he said grandly, and tell me what your opinion is so far. I think you'd better let Madame Fontaine keep her medicine in the cupboard, Mrs. Wagner answered, and when you want anything of that sort, mention it to me. The piece of cake, which Jack had brought away with him, attracted her attention as she spoke. Had he bought it himself, or had he carried it off from the housekeeper's room? Does that belong to you, or to Madame Fontaine? she asked. Anything that belongs to Madame Fontaine must be taken back to her. Do you think I would condescend to taking anything that didn't belong to me? said Jack indignantly. He entered into another confused narrative which brought him, in due course of time, to the dropping of the key and the picking of it up. I happened to read Pink Room Cupboard on the handle, he proceeded, and when I asked what it meant, she called me a fool and snatched the key out of my hand. Do you suppose I was going to wear her gloves after that? No. I am as capable of self-sacrifice as any of you. I acted nobly. I threw them at her. Wait a bit. You may laugh at that, but there's something terrible to come. What do you think of a furious person who insults me, suddenly turning into a funny person who shakes hands with me and bursts out laughing? She did that. On the honor of a gentleman, she did that. Follow my wise example. Keep out of her way. And let's get back to London as soon as we can. Oh, I have got a reason for what I say. Just let me look through the keyhole before I mention it. All right, there's nobody at the keyhole. I may say it safely. It's a dreadful secret to reveal. Mrs. Housekeeper is mad. No, no, there can be no possible mistake about it. If there's a creature living who thoroughly understands madness when he sees it, by heaven, I'm that man. Watching Jack attentively while he was speaking, Mrs. Wagner beckoned to him to come nearer and took his hand. No more now, she said quietly. You are beginning to get a little excited. Who says that? cried Jack. Your eyes say it. Come here to your place. She rose and led him to his customary seat in the recess of the old-fashioned window. 
"'Sit down,' she said. "'I don't want to sit down.' "'Not if I ask you?' Mrs. Wagner produced her pocket-book and made a mark in it with her pencil. "'One good conduct mark, already for Jack,' she said. "'Now I must go on with my work, and you must occupy yourself quietly in some way that will amuse you. Will you do that?' Jack, steadily restraining himself under the firm, kind eyes that rested on him, was not in the right frame of mind for discovering a suitable employment. "'You tell me,' he said. Mrs. Wagner pointed to the bag of keys hanging over his shoulder. "'Have you cleaned them yet?' she asked. His attention was instantly diverted to the keys. He was astonished at having forgotten them. Mrs. Wagner rang the bell and supplied him with sandpaper, leather, and whiting. "'Now then,' she said, pointing to the clock, for another hour at least, silence and work. She returned to her desk, and Jack opened his bag. He spread out the rusty keys in a row on the seat at his side, looking from one to the other before he began the cleansing operations. He started, picked out one key, and held it up to the light. There was something inscribed on the handle under a layer of rust and dirt. He snatched up his materials, and set to work with such good will that the inscription became visible in a few minutes. He could read it plainly. Pink Room Cupboard. A word followed which was not quite so intelligible to him, the word duplicate, but he had no need to trouble himself about this. Pink Room Cupboard, on a second key, told him all he wanted to know. His eyes sparkled. He opened his lips, looked at Mrs. Wagner, busily engaged with her pen, and restrained himself within the hard limits of silence. Aha! I can take Mrs. Housekeeper's medicine whenever I like, he thought slyly. His faith in the remedy was not at all shaken by his conviction that Madame Fontaine was mad. It was the doctor who had made the remedy, and the doctor could not commit a mistake. She's not fit to have the keeping of such a precious thing, he concluded. I'll take the whole of it under my own charge. Shall I tell mistress when we have done work? He considered this question, cleaning his keys and looking furtively from time to time at Mrs. Wagner, the cunning which is almost invariably well-developed in a feeble intelligence, decided him on keeping his discovery to himself. Anything that belongs to Madame Fontaine must be taken back to her, was what the mistress had just said to him. He would certainly be ordered to give up the duplicate key, which meant giving up the wonderful remedy, if he took Mrs. Wagner into his confidence. When I have got what I want, he thought, I can throw away the key, and there will be the end of it. The minutes followed each other. The quarters struck, and still the two strangely associated companions went on silently with their strangely dissimilar work. It was close on the time for the striking of the hour, when a third person interrupted the proceedings, that person being no other than Madame Fontaine again. A thousand pardons, Mrs. Wagner. At what time can I say two words to you in confidence? 
you could not have chosen your time better madame fontaine my work is done for to-day she paused and looked at jack ostentatiously busy with his keys the wisest course would be to leave him in the window-seat harmlessly employed shall we step into the dining-room she suggested leading the way out wait there jack till i return i may have another good mark to put in my pocket-book the two ladies held their conference with closed doors in the empty dining-room my only excuse for troubling you ma'am the widow began is that i speak in the interest of that poor little jack whom we have just left in the office may i ask if you have lately observed any signs of excitement in him certainly mrs wagner answered with her customary frankness of reply i found it necessary to compose him when he came to me about an hour ago and you have just seen that he is as quiet again as a man can be i am afraid you have had reason to complain of his conduct yourself madame fontaine lifted her hands in gently expressed protest oh dear no not to complain to pity our afflicted jack and to feel perhaps that your irresistible influence over him might be required no more you're very good said mrs wagner dryly at the same time i beg you to accept my excuses not only for jack but for myself i found him so well behaved and so capable of restraining himself in london that i thought i was running no risk in bringing him with me to frankfort pray say no more dear madam you really confuse me i am the innocent cause of this little outbreak i most unfortunately reminded him of the time when he lived with us at wurzburg and in that way i revived one of his old delusions which even your admirable treatment has failed to remove from his mind may i ask what the delusion is madame fontaine one of the commonest delusions among insane persons mrs wagner the delusion that he has been poisoned has he ever betrayed it in your presence i heard something of it mrs wagner answered from the superintendent at the madhouse in london ah indeed the superintendent merely repeated i suppose what jack had told him exactly i was careful not to excite him by referring to it myself when i took him under my charge at the same time it is impossible to look at his hair and his complexion without seeing that some serious accident must have befallen him most unquestionably he is the victim poor creature not of poison but of his own foolish curiosity in my husband's surgery and you see the result alas i cannot give you the scientific reasons for it i shouldn't understand them madame fontaine if you could ah dear lady you kindly say so because you are unwilling to humiliate me is there anything jack may have said to you about me which seems to require an explanation if i can give it she slipped in this question concealing perfectly the anxiety that suggested it so far as her voice and eyes were concerned but the inner agitation rose to the surface in a momentary trembling of her lips slight as it was that sign of self-betrayal did not escape mrs wagner's keen observation she made a cautious reply on the contrary 
she said, from what Jack has told me, the conclusion is plain that you have really done him a service. You have succeeded in curing that delusion you spoke of, and I applaud your good sense in refusing to trust him with the medicine. Madame Fontaine made a low curtsy. I shall remember those kind words among the happy events of my life, she said with her best grace. Permit me to take your hand. She pressed Mrs. Wagner's hand gratefully and made an exit which was a triumph of art. Even a French actress might have envied the manner in which she left the room. But when she ascended the stairs, with no further necessity for keeping up appearances, her step was as slow and as weary as the step of an old woman. Oh, my child, she thought sadly, with her mind dwelling again on Minna. Shall I see the end of all these sacrifices when your wedding day comes with the end of the year? She sat down by the fire in her room, and for the first time in her life, the harmless existence of one of those domestic drudges whom she despised began to seem enviable to her. There were merits visible now in the narrow social horizon that is bounded by gossip, knitting, and tea. Left by herself in the dining-room, Mrs. Wagner took a turn up and down with her mind bent on penetrating Madame Fontaine's motives. There were difficulties in her way. It was easy to arrive at the conclusion that there was something under the surface, but the obstacles to advancing beyond this point of discovery seemed to defy removal, to distrust the graceful widow more resolutely than ever, and to lament that she had not got wise David Glennie to consult with, were the principal results of Mrs. Wagner's reflections when she returned to the office. There was Jack, in the nursery phrase, as good as gold, still in his place on the window-seat, devoted to his keys. His first words related entirely to himself. If this isn't good conduct, he said, I should like to know what is. Give me my other mark. Mrs. Wagner took out her pocket-book and made a new mark. Thank you, Jack said. Now I want something else. I want to know what Mrs. Housekeeper has been saying. I have been seriously alarmed about you. Why, Jack? She hasn't bitten you, has she? Oh, they do it sometimes. What lies has she been telling you of me? Oh, they lie in the most abominable manner. What? She has been talking of me in the kindest terms? Then why did she want to get out of my hearing? Ah, they're so infernally deceitful. I do hate mad people. Mrs. Wagner produced her pocketbook again. I shall scratch out your mark, she said sternly, if I hear any more talk of that sort. Jack gathered his keys together with a strong sense of injury and put them back in his leather bag. You're a little hard on me, he said, when I'm only warning you for your own good. I don't know why it is you're not as kind to me here as you used to be in London, and I feel it. I do. He laid himself down on the window seat and began to cry. Mrs. Wagner was not the woman to resist this expression of the poor little man's feeling. 
In a moment she was at the window comforting him and drying his eyes, as if he had been a child. And, like a child, Jack took advantage of the impression that he had made. Look at your desk, he said piteously. There's another proof of how hard you are on me. I used to keep the key of your desk in London. You won't trust it to me here. Mrs. Wagner went to the desk locked it, and returned to Jack. Few people know how immensely an act of kindness gains an effect by being performed in silence. Mrs. Wagner was one of the few. Without a word, she opened the leather bag and dropped the key into it. Jack's gratitude rushed innocently to an extreme which it had never reached yet. Oh, he cried, would you mind letting me kiss you? Mrs. Wagner drew back and held up a warning hand. Before she could express herself in words, Jack's quick ear caught the sound of footsteps approaching the door. Is she coming back? he cried, still suspicious of Madame Fontaine. Mrs. Wagner instantly opened the door and found herself face to face with Joseph, the footman, do you know, ma'am, when Mr. Keller will be back? he asked. I didn't even know that he was out, Joseph. Who wants him? A gentleman, ma'am, who says he comes from Munich. End of chapter 6 Part 2 Recording by Sandra Estenson